What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. It's our first Twitter Tuesday of the regular season. And as a reminder, the opening week of the NFL is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Check out our promo code Locked On. It gets you 20% off at MacWeldon.com. We're keeping the Twitter Tuesday train a rolling here as the regular season is now here. And the first one here today comes from Sean. Sean says, what is your view of Bean's draft strategy so far? I personally do not like trading up for anyone other than a quarterback, and we seem to trade up often, though your point about having a deep roster and a lot of picks last year was a really good one. However, trading up for guys like Zay when they could have gotten Juju later on and kept a third seems like a bad decision. The jury is out on Deion Dawkins, but hopefully he is a long-term left tackle. We may have gotten Tremaine without trading up and would have gotten a really good player regardless, likely Derwin James, Jair Alexander, Leighton Vander Esk, or Rashawn Evans. I've been very impressed with the late-round hits, but don't love all the trade-ups. Maybe I'm just scared by the Sammy Watkins trade. Would love to hear your thoughts on Beans drafting. First of all, uh, good question, and I think you present some good points here. The first thing I will say, though, Sean, is those trade-ups for Zay Jones and Deion Dawkins are not on Brandon Bean's hands. Bean was not with the team at the time. He was still in Carolina and was hired after the draft. And so that was a Sean McDermott and then Asterix Doug Whaley draft. But to your point, he did trade up a lot of other times in his drafting with the Bills. Look at Dawson Knox. Look at uh, Cody Ford. Look at Josh Allen. Look at Tremaine Edmonds. He's done it time and time again. And As much as Brandon Bean wants you to believe he's a best player available guy, he isn't. He's got to say that he is, but he isn't. He's definitely a guy who targets certain players in certain areas of the drafts, and he goes and gets them, particularly early on. We've not seen him trade back at all, and we've seen him trade up a lot. And so it's not my personal philosophy. I think... He really believes in what he does. He really believes in the scouting process and knows the players he wants to get and he wants to go get them. And look at this year. I've already run some seven-round mock draft simulations over on thedraftnetwork.com. And with nine draft picks, I'm telling you the Bills aren't making nine draft picks next year. Those extra picks on day three will be used to move up, whether that's move up in the fourth or the third round. They're going to be packaged and they're going to be used to move up and get players specifically that Brandon Bean wants. So if there's anything we learn from Bean, it's that he likes to trade up. Sean McDermott likes to trade up. We saw that in the first draft that I believe he ran. And so the flip side is by giving up draft capital, you really limit your chances to be right. So for me, I think it's a little bit of an arrogant move because You know, you hear like Howie Roseman with the Eagles. He says, I need as many draft picks as I can because I need as many darts to throw at the dartboard. You know, I don't believe in my my scouting that much to believe that I can always trade up and go get my guys. And while Brandon Bean does the exact opposite, he knows who he wants. He wants to go get him. And he starts, you know, we've he's always calling teams. That's all we ever hear about is Brandon Bean calling teams to move up. He wants his guys. So far, that hasn't been a problem. Um, but I mean, think, think ahead to next year, go ahead and start getting this on your mind. Nine draft picks, 80 plus million dollars in cap space. 
There's not going to be another turnover on the roster. This year, 23 new players on the opening day roster. That is not going to happen again next year. And so it's about getting the quality with where you're going to turn over the roster. I think it's going to continue to be more of the same. I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's it's what we've learned from Brandon Bean. His his resume speaks clearly on the way he he uh, he attacks the draft. Paul, super pleased with Bean getting draft picks for a player that we were having on the roster bubble. Also getting Bates for Eli Harold was an astute move. I'm wondering if McDermott is any insurance policy for a couple weeks as Bates continues to develop. Um, I was hoping they could keep at least nine offensive linemen, and they kept ten. With the better athletes choosing to play defense versus offensive line, it's more important than ever to hold on to players uh, with any potential upside on the offensive line. Do you agree? Uh, look, I, I think the Brandon Bean spent the offseason getting a bunch of offensive linemen so that he wasn't going to have to worry about offensive linemen this year when it comes to the Buffalo Bills, especially after what we saw in 2018. And I think a lot of that played into his decision to keep 10. And I do think there is some value in keeping more players on offensive at the offensive line because you see a depth problem across the league and the Bills are really protecting themselves by kind of overdoing it. You see some teams only keep eight offensive linemen. Nine's heavy. Ten's a lot. And there was times last year where the Bills had 10. And so this is just about protecting the depth and not getting yourself in a situation where you're putting out a a non-NFL-worthy blocker in the lineup to protect Josh Allen. And teams do that. And Brandon Bean made a very conscious choice to not do that. And I do think there is something to be said for going heavy on offense because of the lack of depth throughout the league and, like you said, the very talented defensive player that you're faced with all the time in the NFL. Andrew says, with the Bills having around $30 million in cap space, what would be your predictions of what they will try to do with it this year? Every Bills fan would want to extend Jordan Poyer, but why hasn't it happened yet? Do the Bills under McDermott keep getting young, cheap talent in the secondary or pay for elite? Well, um, I don't know that I expect much to happen with the Bills' remaining cap space. You know, be available for players that they'll need to sign inevitably as the season goes along with injuries that will happen. Um, maybe a contract extension for a player could be Jordan Poyer. They took care of Hughes. They took care of, of uh, Steven Hauschka. You know, Shaq Lawson's contract's up. I don't know if they're going to invest there. And to me, Jordan Poyer is definitely underpaid, and I'd love to see him get him a nice brand-new deal. But I have to think that there's been dialogue there, not necessarily in terms of contract offers, but an understanding of, hey, we know that you're due and you you know we're going to take care of you. And I, I really believe that'll probably come after the season. I don't know that I expect the Bills to make a move during the season to extend the contract. So if it doesn't happen the next few days, um, it'd be after the season. But I don't know that I expect any big investments to move into that $30 million. As a reminder, you can roll over cap space to the next year. And so I think you'll start to see the Bills really subscribe to doing that and allowing them to be in position to retain all this young talent that we don't want to see play for other teams. I've got to take a quick break, but go over to DraftKings.com now and use promo code LOCKEDON for a special offer. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. 
Next one comes from my buddy Noah Aderman, who says, Now examining the 2014 draft class with many elite, untradeable players on different teams. Odell Beckham Jr., Khalil Mack, Jadavian Clowney, Sammy Watkins. What would be a dream player for the Bills to acquire from the 2015 or 2016 draft class? Very interesting talking point there. Now, I'm already kind of looking over the 15 and 16 draft class at the top. I mean, you can already see it starting to unravel. Dante Fowler is no longer on the Jags. Amari Cooper no longer on the Raiders. Uh, Kevin White's not with the Bears. Eric Flowers is not with the Giants. So there's, it's kind of seems like the top talent in that year's draft is kind of snatched up. Uh, if it's, you know, look, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, the two quarterbacks, those are X-factor type players. Brandon Scherf, maybe that's one. Does, does, he, uh, does he follow Trent Williams? and not want to play in Washington anymore and demand a trade? What about Leonard Williams over with the New York Jets? They just invested in Quinn and Williams. They paid Henry Anderson. Could he be a player that could become available? When you look over 2016, I think it's less likely that those players would be in the mix, even though we've already seen some of them already get traded, and Laramie Tunsil, and uh, look, you've seen Corey Coleman, Josh Dotson and Laquan Treadwell have both been released. And uh, so Robert M. Kandichi. It's just funny. You look at these drafts and you just see a lot of just missed picks, missed opportunities, bad selections. It, it creeps up pretty fast. So when I'm looking over those two years, I look at 2015 and my eyes really go to Brandon Scherf and they go to uh, Leonard Williams as two players that could be in that similar position. Moving on here, the next one comes from Justin. Justin says, with McCoy out and Gore on the team for a year, Singletary being five foot seven, can't see him being the number one back. Think of him as a Darren Sproles type. Do the Bills draft a running back in the third or fourth round of the draft or go for a cheap free agent? Well, let's keep in mind, TJ Yeldon is signed through next season. So the Bills lead running back duo could be Devin Singletary and TJ Yeldon next year. But I do also think there's a possibility that the Bills could go and get a more um, stable back, a guy that projects more as a, as a workhorse that can complement Devin Singletary. I think Devin Singletary is going to be the guy. So, yeah, I think the, uh, a middle-round running back could certainly be in the mix, but I'm not sleeping on TJ Yeldon and Devin Singletary as the lead backs in 2020. Next one here comes from Andrew. Andrew says, first off, love the podcast. You do an amazing job. Thank you. I really enjoy your ability to deliver fresh new ideas and content each week. It keeps the show fresh and very interesting, so keep up the good work. I have three questions for today's show. First, I recently heard that the Bills' upcoming season is still a rebuilding year. Thoughts? I don't disagree with that. I think the the Bills, in terms of what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are trying to accomplish, it's still being built. It's, it's a process, right? And I don't want to sound like McDermott or Bean when I say that, but they inherited a situation that they wanted to gut. I mean, look through it. There's not a lot of players on this roster right now that were around for Rex Ryan or Doug Whaley. I mean, what, Shaq Lawson and Jerry Hughes? I'm off the top of my head here, but I don't know if there's anyone else. That could literally be it. Lorenzo Alexander. That might be the whole list. So they want to put their own fingerprints on this roster. They want it to be theirs, and I think it's going to take another year to do it. I'd love for the Bills to go to the playoffs. I don't think it's crazy to think that. 
I expect the Bills to be 8-9, 10-win team, but I'm not sure I guarantee that they're going to the playoffs. And so I do think that this is still in the building phase. And I don't think you ever get out of the building phase because you need to replenish. You always have to have a forward mindset about what you're doing with your football team. But, you know, I, I think I think the Bills are still in that process. I do. Number two from Andrew, some people are upset that we re-signed Steven Hauschka after missing some kicks in the preseason. Some blame can be placed due to the lack of chemistry between the holder and kicker. Your favorite guy, Corey Borjokes, appears to have won the job. Does this solve the issue of Hauschka's kicking struggles? I think Steven Hauschka was banged up towards the end of last year, and I do think that the holding situation played into it. I do think that it's a justification for keeping uh, Corey right now was the punter because you're going to probably sign a, a bad punter. They missed out on Colquitt. I don't know what's wrong with Kyle Allen, but right now you're going to sign an inconsistent putter. There's not like clear upgrades available. I'm looking at the statistics of the guys that they're looking into that they had in for workouts, and those guys are very inconsistent. So if you're already going to have a bad punter, you might as well have one that can hold and you trust with Hauschka. Now, Corey B has given us reasons to doubt him as a holder. Remember last year? There's already those doubts there, but at least there's some chemistry there. And if you're going to have an inconsistent punter, which the Bills are going to have this year, you might as well have the one that you believe has some chemistry with Hauschka as the holder. Number three from Andrew. It's my girlfriend's birthday today. Can you wish Hannah a happy birthday for me? Happy birthday to you, Hannah. Andrew is a smart man trying to get a shout out here on the podcast. I hope you listen to it, Hannah. I'm sure at least Andrew will play this part of it for you. And um, that would be cool. That'd be cool if like there's couples that listen to, to the Lockdown Bills podcast together. That would be pretty neat. So maybe uh, Andrew and Hannah are, are the uh, the duo of Lockdown Bills listeners. That's pretty cool. Happy birthday. I hope you have an awesome day. And uh, for your gift, I hope the Bills beat the Jets on Sunday. Brian says, who is the one player you wished made the 53 and one player you most feel didn't deserve a spot? This is really a good question. I, I This got my brain spinning a little bit because I just remember reacting to the moves as they were announced and not really getting like overly emotional either way, thinking, oh my God, I can't believe they kept him or oh my God, I can't believe they released him. I mean, there was some shock value to the shady cut, but uh, only because they had promised us that he's going to be the running back this year and so it was like a big shift in what you were you know what you've been told so that was probably the most shocking but um I'll stay away from the low-hanging fruit with the punter situation and uh as as far as the guy that I thought most deserved to make the roster and it's probably not necessarily because of anything they've done but it would make me feel better about the depth would be Captain Munnerlin or Lafayette Pitts just to have another guy that can uh, play outside at corner at outside, you know, not just the slot guys. They've got Neil and Johnson and several safeties that can come forward and play in the slot. But who's going to play on the outside? I know that you feel good about Wallace, Kevin Johnson, and Trey White, but I'd like to have another guy capable of playing outside corner. So for that reason, I would choose Munnerlin or Pitts. The least deserving to make the roster, two names come to mind, Kirk Coleman and, and Connor McDermott. Uh, Kirk Coleman, I mean, we've talked about him making the roster, but like, what has he done that makes you believe that he should be part of this mix? Dean Marlowe and Jaquan Johnson have had very good uh, preseasons. And now you're keeping five safeties. One of them being Kurt Coleman. So 
I don't know. It feels redundant. They obviously Sean McDermott wanted to have the veteran there that was important to him, but I'm not sure there's anything he did specifically to earn it or if he's even necessary. And uh, that doesn't mean I don't like Kirk Coleman. I'm just trying to answer the question here with some logic. The other person's Connor McDermott. Um, offensive tackle, he's the 10th one. You know, I, like I said a minute ago, eight's normal, nine's a lot, and 10 is a real lot. And so Connor McDermott hasn't necessarily been awful or anything like that, but he's claiming a roster spot that is taking away from someone else that could help at a different position. You know, the Bills are going to have two or three inactive offensive linemen every single week, healthy inactive offensive linemen if they keep 10. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic when it comes to the roster. So I don't necessarily love or hate anyone that did or didn't make the roster, but to me it's just about feeling comfortable with some of the numbers in certain areas. It's time to celebrate. Football is finally back. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football, has huge week one contests. The first one starts this Thursday night when the Chicago Bears and Green Bay Packers kick off the season in a single-game showdown with $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs. Draft your single-game showdown lineup and feel the sweat like never before. It's simple. Just draft six players from the season opener. Stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using code LOCKEDON will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. Get in on the season opener action. Download the DraftKings app now and use code LOCKEDON. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to 500 bucks. And new users don't miss the extra special week one bonus. Enter my promo code Locked On to get a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit. That's code Locked On only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25-time playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Be right back after this for more Twitter Tuesday. All right, next up here comes from Justin who says, Love your podcast. It has absolutely become part of my morning routine with your strong insight and interesting guests. Thanks so much. Appreciate that, Justin. I realize you and all Buffalo fans have talked Josh Allen to death, but I have one more question. I really only look at the last six games last year when determining Josh Allen's performance and potential. I am aware the defenses the Bills played were not as strong. I have his numbers in the final six, but I'm wondering where the Bills' offense ranked in terms of points, yards passing, and rushing yards in the NFL during only this six-game stretch to conclude the year. So let's talk about that. First of all, let's do talk about Josh Allen's numbers so everyone can know. Across the last six games of the season, Josh Allen completed 52% of his passes, and if you were to take his six games and average it out across 16, he would have 3,312 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, 19 interceptions, and a uh, passer rating of 72.57. When you take the Bills' offensive output across those six games, average it across 16, here's where it would rank. The Bills would be 21st in points at 22 points per game. It would be 26th in passing yards per game at 200. And rushing yards would be second at 157.5. So, I mean... You get excited about the rushing yards mostly because of Josh Allen, but even in that six-game sample size where we thought the Bills' offense was playing really well, 
still pretty poor compared to the rest of the league. Next one here comes from Roy. With Duke Williams now on the practice squad, do you think the role he had in the preseason is something Sean and Brandon Field can be filled perhaps by the tight end group? Uh, Taller guy, red zone threat, etc. Also, I agree that we could use one more true corner, but who? Anybody available that you feel they could bring into that role? Comment, I believe the 10th offensive line spot is there for a possible trade or cut candidate for another positional need. I do think there is something to be said for the possibility of tight ends offering that size dynamic, specifically Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox is definitely a player that you feel comfortable with being able to position his frame and win at the catch point. Um, And I'm, I'm sure that probably did go into it a little bit because the Bills kept four tight ends. And one of those being Tyler Croft, but you know you could really see an argument to be made for them keeping only three, especially when you're keeping a fullback. Uh, the other piece of that, in terms of who the Bills could be eyeing for that true corner spot, I have to go back to the guys that they're comfortable with in, in Lafayette Pitts, who's been on this roster, as well as Captain Munnerman. So it could be a week-to-week thing, and those guys will bounce around a little bit, but those are the two outside corners that uh, make sense to me. Next one here comes from Vin. I'm absolutely fired up for Sunday. Me too, brother. I'm still hoping for a different punter. Same here. But what are your thoughts on the players added to the practice squad this far? So far, we've got 10 of them. We still have an open spot here. Uh, Quarterback Davis Webb, who obviously is exciting because he's going to run scout team offense this week. And it's the Jets offense, who he has spent the entire offseason with. So, There couldn't be a better guy other than Sam Darnold, really, or Trevor Simeon, the guys that made the roster, to give the Bills a good look and some insight into what the Jets may be trying to do. Christian Wade, we're very familiar with him. Duke Williams, I like that the Bills kept the control there uh, for him to develop, and nobody can claim him without the Bills having an opportunity to call him up to their 53. So I think it was a smart play. Fortunate he cleared waivers, and uh, if there's any promise there, the Bills will get it. Uh, wide receiver Tyron Johnson, obviously I'm excited about his 4-3 speed. Nate Becker, a guy we're familiar with from preseason, I don't think there's much appeal there. Eric Magnuson, um, that's a good offensive lineman to have on your practice squad. He's played in the NFL, he played a long time for Michigan, gives you some versatility to play outside uh, at both left and right tackle, so I think that's an ideal player. Eddie Yarbrough is a dream to have on your practice squad if the Bills have an injury to any of their defensive ends you call him up and you feel good about him as your number four defensive end same thing with Kyle Pecco who's on the practice squad at defensive tackle I thought he had a really strong preseason if any one of those tackles go down Pecco is is a really good player to have in your back pocket to call up and be number four Nate Hall uh like I said yesterday really excited to hear all the positive reviews on him from his Uh, his camp with the Dallas Cowboys everyone has good things to say I'm not super familiar with him as a player but um, you know I I think that speaks highly that people are rooting for him and and thought he had a good camp and finally Cam Lewis a player that uh, all the comments from the coaching staff have been very positive about we had him all offseason long and I think that there's some appeal there and so I think that's a good corner to keep on the practice squad so all in all a pretty good group we got one more coming and uh, I'm guessing that'll probably be a defensive player. Uh, next one here comes from Allie. With the addition of Josh Gordon and the current wide receiver group in New England, how do you think Buffalo's D stacks up against them? Thanks and love the show. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, obviously the, the lead guy there is Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, Demarius Thomas. They have 
Um, Jacoby Myers, a player that they got in uh, as an undrafted free agent from North Carolina State that's been really good for them. But really, I think this is about, oh, and Philip Dorsett. This is going to be about Dorsett, Edelman, Gordon, and Thomas. I really like how the Bills match up with these wide receivers. Let me tell you why. The Bills' corners, I think, are very good cover guys. But where I get nervous is against pure speed. Even Trey White, the Bills' best cornerback, Remember the game against A.J. Green? Remember uh, some of the issues he had with Curtis Samuel? He is going If he's not able to crowd the receiver's frame and really take away that clean release, and he just has to get in foot races with guys, there's going to be players that can get behind him. And it's not that the Bills leave him on an island a ton. The Bills play a lot of zone coverage. But where I get nervous is when there's a guy that can simply run by cornerbacks. Now, the Bills don't give up many big passing plays. That's been a staple of Sean, McDerm- Sean McDermott's defense for two years now. And part of that's because they have really good safety play and they know how to space the back end. But I don't get nervous about receivers that the Bills play against unless they're really explosive fast guys. Now, I know Philip Dorsett is a 4-3 guy, but he's not. he doesn't move the needle enough for me because he's not been that consistent throughout his career. But, I mean, Josh Gordon's a terrific football player, but I don't get nervous about him getting looser behind the secondary. Same thing with Demarius Thomas. Those are players that are going to kind of work the underneath areas, position their frame, you know, chip away at a defense, but I don't know that they're going to make those explosive plays. So if you want me to get nervous about a receiving core, give me a bunch of guys that could be explosive down the field, and I'll get nervous. But, by I mean, remember, the Bills kept defenses to 179 passing yards per game last year, first in the NFL. It's a great secondary. It's all pretty much back. It's all back, and it's upgraded with more depth. I think the depth is better, and the communication will be even better in year three together. I mean, this is a good group. I'm not really nervous about that. I'm nervous about Tom Brady. I'm nervous about their rushing attack. You're going to hear me talk about this when the Bills face the Patriots. I think they're going to run the ball extremely well. And I know this is a passing league, and everyone wants to talk about quarterbacks and big passing numbers, but... I'm telling you, this New England Patriots rushing offense is going to be a problem this year. Next one here comes from Joe Nash. When the Bills drafted Singletary, many of us were surprised that the Bills would burn a mid-round pick on a running back, but with the release of McCoy, do you think that McCoy being released was the hope plan all along? Good question. I'm going to have to speculate in my head here. I don't have any insider scoop here for you. But I can tell you that I do think Devin Singletary's acclimation came along quicker than anticipated and the belief that the Bills would be fine without LaShawn McCoy existed based on what Devin Singletary proved this offseason. Remember when he got drafted and I talked a lot about Devin Singletary and I said I have concerns about his acclimation to the NFL. He ran uh, he ran a ton of horizontal tracks at Florida Atlantic. He didn't necessarily fare well against Power 5 competition. He didn't catch the ball. He wasn't really asked to catch the ball. It's not that he didn't catch the ball. He wasn't really asked to catch the ball. And those reasons, like, I, I just thought there was going to be some time that it's gonna, it was going to take for him to become a lead back. And then you kind of com- you kind of also consider that he's a vision and contact balance guy who doesn't necessarily have the most dynamic movement skills. And he's not a bad mover, but he's not necessarily the most explosive guy for his style of play. I thought there was enough question marks here to be hesitant. 
But I think Devin Singletary showed enough in the preseason games as well as camp for the Bills to believe we're going to be okay. And we don't have to pay LaShawn McCoy $9 million this year. So you think about that salary. You think about what Devin Singletary was able to do. And it leads me to believe that this wasn't a premeditated thing. It wasn't always going to be LaShawn McCoy is going to be cut. And I think the Bills, I think it, I think this is about Devin Singletary more than anything, to be completely honest with you. I don't think that this was premeditated. California Buffalo, our last one here today. How worried do football fans have to be when a player is traded to a division rival? Example, Bodine to the Pats and our signing of Webb to the practice squad. How much intel can these players actually give their former teams to their new teams? Well, I mean, there's always some gamesmanship with this. I mean, Sean McDermott addressed this in his press conference on Monday and said, look, you know, we brought him, we brought Davis Webb in because we believe in the player, not because of any information. But he did say it helps. So I, I don't think we can dismiss this as something in, insignificant. We see it all the time. You know, there seems to be this really close coincidence in players getting plucked off practice squads uh, and put on other teams' active roster that they just happen to be playing. So there is something to be said for it. I do think it matters. But you'll hear a lot of coaches also say it would matter if they were going to be actually playing in the game, right? Because there's still that element of they're just on the practice squad. They're not playing in the game. So it certainly helps from an Intel perspective, but to me it's the guys that play in the game that I think can make the the biggest impact and I'm not going to overlook it and say it doesn't matter because it it does. It does. I, I get more concerned if I was the Jets with a quarterback like Davis Webb than Russell Bodine, who, look, Russell's not going to be playing against the Bills for what? The Bills play the Patriots in week five? I mean, there's a lot that's going to happen in the next six weeks before that matchup. And the Bills are going to be mindful of that. They're going to know what Bodine knows, just like the Jets. The Jets know what Davis Webb knows. And they're not just going to go there and everything's going to be exactly the same as it was. And, you know, I'm, not, I'm sure the whole game plan hasn't been developed in, and uh, disclosed, certainly at this point. So it helps, but I don't think it's like an overwhelming thing. I don't think you sit here and say, you know what, I thought the Jets were going to beat the Bills. But now that they have Davis Webb, I think the Bills are going to beat the Jets. You know, I don't think it's a, that big of a, a decisive thing, to be honest with you. That's going to do it for us today. Tomorrow is Wednesday. We're going to start talking about... This matchup with the New York Jets will have a crossover episode with the host of Locked On Jets to get you ready, get that Jets perspective, and we'll continue getting ready Thursday and Friday for what is hopefully a 1-0 start to the season for the Buffalo Bills as they travel to New Jersey to face the New York Jets. Until tomorrow, thanks so much for listening to Locked On Bills.